You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Wow, isn't that a powerful story? Cassie's felt led to share her story for quite some time now, and I'm thankful she had the opportunity to do it. And it was kind of weird. But aren't you th- to clap about something like that? But aren't you thankful for Cassie? Isn't just kind of yeah, just grateful for her testimony and. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just thankful for her, and here's someone who wants the world to know, in her context, she's in as a school teacher, serving our kids' ministry, that God is good. That idea of redemptive suffering, that Jesus has come to redeem, even when the absolute pit and things are as bad as we possibly think they can be, that Jesus really never does leave us or forsake us, and how God is using her uh, right now to make a difference to the next generation through the local church that God has designed. And when God built the church, it's about people. It's about people coming together. So let's go. It's always with people in mind going from our church for the city into the world. And I'm thankful that Cassie is someone who embodies that uh, with her life. Uh, just to see her at Kids Camp this past summer serving, going all in. Uh, and here's also the, the news that she knows to be true and why she's so passionate about Christ and about the church is that she mentioned in the video that her husband Logan, yes, we wish it would have been here on earth. We don't know all the explanations, but we do know God's promises, and that's that he is healed because he's with Jesus right now forever. Because heaven's a real place where real people go. And that's her hope. It's a certain hope, not a hope of crossing our fingers, a certain hope based on the conviction that Jesus really is alive, that Easter really is real. So Jesus is alive means that one day all of us, though we will die, will be alive forever. And that's the message we have and the mission we hold to. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. We're going through Acts right now in our Let's Go series. We're in Acts 21, the second half of it, uh, here this morning. And we're going to see this morning a call for church unity and how critical it is back in the first century in Jerusalem for sure, but also the Bible's timeless right now in 2023 for the church to be unified. And by unified, we don't mean that everyone always gets along. It is simply just nice. Unity is so much more than agreement and so much more than niceness, even though both those things can be very important. The unity is a commitment around an object, around an idea, around a truth of us saying, I'm a part of this, I'm in, I'm unified. Even though I might disagree on a couple little things here and there, we come together because we believe that something is true and worth our very lives. We're going to see that biblical precedent and how it's real for us today, Uh, but first let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for Cassie's story. There's much pain in that story, but we know that you were always with her and that Logan is with you right now. Just amazing even to think about that he is with his creator in heaven for eternity. But I ask that more people will be impacted, more kids reach for Christ, because how you're going to keep using Cassie and her redemptive suffering to make much of the one who died for her, died for Logan, died for all of us. Lord, I ask you to speak through me this morning. Lord, please get the enemy out of this place and out of our city. Because all the churches in our cities, they gather together. We don't just pray that as a routine. We really ask for a movement through the local church to happen in our community uh, that can help people see that you really are good and that your promises of Jesus Christ are for us. I thank you that you love the people of Tallahassee and you love the people of this world. Well, this Let's Go campaign, we believe you laid in our hearts from the book of Acts, the original Let's Go. We ask you to use it for your glory and for your mission to make your love and your gospel known. We also, in this broken world, pray for what's happening in Israel right now, uh, that you be with the people there. Lord, that you allow no more loss of life, but we also ask that you get rid of evil. Lord, we know that you are sovereign. We know your word tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, so we pray for that right now. Lord, we ask you to be with those people, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what's happening here now is that the goal for Paul was to get to Jerusalem. 
And the other disciples said, please don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to face hardship there. He said, okay, I understand that, but I really believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I really believe the gospel's true, so I have to go to Jerusalem, the place with much population, the place where the gospel started, where the good news was first announced. I have to go there. So we see in verse 17, he's arrived. When we reached Jerusalem, so a group went with him, a group of Christians. This is Luke writing. He's the author of Acts. The brothers and sisters, so there's already Christians there. There's already believers in the city. They welcomed us warmly. How refreshing to Paul, thinking he's going to walk into just hostility, but he gets there and a church has been established. There are believers there. The way we know a church has been established is verse 18. The following day, Paul went in with us to James. James, church history tells us, was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And all the elders were present. So there's church leadership, it's organized. God's plan is always churches. That everything actually happens through a local church. So if you say things like, I like Jesus but not the church, you're talking about something that's unrecognizable to the Bible. Or if you say things like, I just don't like organized religion. Well, churches in the Bible were very organized. They had leadership, they had elders, they had pastors. Uh, that, that was the plan that God gave them to establish churches in the city who would make a difference for Jesus Christ to preach his gospel, to make disciples. So we see that Paul is now with James the pastor and with the elders. So by going to Jerusalem, he was going to the local church in Jerusalem to do the work of the ministry. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He's celebrating life change. Gentiles, like those far from God, broken, like scum of the earth as you think they are, Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus. God loves them too. That God's love is not just reserved for us. It's for all people, even those you would think are the furthest away from him. And he's celebrating that. So when we talk about how many people got baptized here, how many folks come to Christ here, there's biblical precedent to celebrate life change. He's reporting to them all the things that God has done, and he's thrilled about it. And we should be thrilled about it too. Jesus said in Luke 15, the angels rejoice when one person comes to faith in Christ. So as a member of this church, a part of this church body, you should want to see and hear the life change that is taking place. Stories like Cassie of redemptive suffering, all the way to the folks who are going to see baptized and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord on Baptism Sunday in a couple weeks. Let's Go is about people and the mission and the vision of this church going forward. When they heard it, what did they do? They glorified God. There wasn't cynicism. There wasn't yeah, but. There wasn't what about they praised God for what he had done city to city through Paul's ministry to see Gentiles converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And then they bring something up. You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, how amazing, Jews coming to faith in Christ, the Messiah who was first promised to them. They're believing he really is the one that came to redeem God's people through his death, through his bloodshed. And they're all zealous for the law. They're committed to following the Lord through their Jewish customs, through their Jewish principles, but now it's all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So they're not abandoning their cultural Judaism, because Judaism, in their conviction they shouldn't do that, but they're coming to know the Lord. But there's some talk going on around town. That's Bible for there's some gossip in the streets. Now we just call that prayer requests, right? <laughs> but they've been informed about you. And you know what they heard? That you're teaching all the Jews, the Jews who have come to faith in Christ, who are among the Gentiles, we're one church now, Jew and Gentiles together here in Jerusalem. People are saying, you know the old line, people are saying, 
People are saying that you're telling them to abandon Moses, like to walk away from all they know in their Jewish heritage. You're telling them not to circumcise their children. That they have turmoil here. This is one of the foundations of, of the Jewish faith, one of the identity markers of what it means to be a Jewish male. And not to circumcise their children or to live according to our customs. So we're just throwing everything out. We're like throwing away the festivals and the things that mean so near to, much to us or near and dear to us that God's even given us in his grace. He says, therefore, do what we tell you. Like if you don't want to hit the fan here in Jerusalem, because the Jewish Christians you're hearing that your crusade isn't just about Jesus, that it's also anti-Jewish. And Paul is Jewish, so he's probably going, what are you talking about? He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews in the scripture. If anybody followed and knew and valued Jewish law, it was Paul. But the pastors and elders of the church, the leadership, they're saying, here's what we're asking you to do. We have four men who have made a vow. Four new believers, they're of Jewish descent. He says, here it would be a great testimony to everybody else that you're for us and that you're with us and that we're unified. These four guys here, See, the rest of the city thinks, the, church, the Jewish people in the church think, you're going to tell them not to get circumcised, you're going to tell them not to shave their head as a, a sign of repentance in Jewish culture. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their head shaved. Now, you didn't shave your head back then because you were going bald or because you just liked the shiny look or because you came in last in your fantasy football team and that was the punishment to shave your head or something along those lines. It was a sign of repentance, a sign of sorrow that you had turned from your old life and now are following the Jewish law. So if you do this, then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing. It was just talk. It was just gossip, maybe even just slander. But that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. Paul's like, I am. I just don't think it saves you from your sins. Now, Paul would have drawn a line in the sand if they were saying you had to follow Jewish law in order to have your sins forgiven, in order to be reconciled to God. That's not what they're saying here. They're asking Paul to respect the convictions of the Jewish Christians in the church. And as a result, to take the vow and to have these four go through the process of shaving their head. So with regards to the Gentiles who have believed, who are now part of our family, who are part of God's family, who've had their sins forgiven, who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we've written a letter containing our decision, this is the elders speaking on behalf of the church, that they're going to be a part of us and we're going to have harmony here. Now, he already said they're believers. He's not saying do these things in order to be approved by God. They've already been approved by God. He's saying for us to maintain oneness and togetherness as a church in this hostile place called Jerusalem that's against everything that we're doing, they should keep themselves from food sacrifice to idols. That was very offensive to people who've been raised in Jewish culture and been told their entire lives not to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. So what would it look like at the church potluck or the church dinner if all the new Gentile Christians rolled in and they're just chowing down on all the food that's been sacrificed to idols, asking for seconds and thirds. And then the other Jewish believers are completely outraged and offended. It's a recipe for complete disunity, mission drift and mission distraction, and the church not being anything close to what God had called them to be. So he's saying, please keep yourself from this. Keep yourself from blood, from what is strangled. It might just be gross to you and you shrug your shoulders and go, whatever, when you think about how, like, 
animals' blood was shed for food and all those to make food and process food. It's a, it's a no big deal thing for you. For the Jewish people, it's very offensive to them. So if you can, if you're going to be part of this church, please don't do that. Those are cultural things. Then he gives us one that is not cultural, and the way we know it's not cultural is that it's consistent throughout the entire story of the scriptures, and that's to keep yourself from sexual immorality. Because if you don't, you're going to look just like the world, and the Jewish Christians aren't going to believe you've actually given your faith to Christ. They're not going to believe that you have been converted. So Paul is being accused falsely of disrespecting Jewish law. Now again, he's not going to budge on the truth he has been preaching city to city, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, that he really is the Messiah, he gave his life to redeem people and rose from the dead. He's not going to depart from that. That your observance to Jewish law doesn't impact your relationship with God. Following Jesus based on your salvation is what impacts your relationship with God functionally here. Your relationship with God has been settled once and for all when you converted to Christianity, but the way it plays out is not through you being more Jewish, it's by you following Jesus in the context of a local church. In the book of Galatians, it was a different conversation. In Galatia, they were saying, the Jewish people were telling the Gentiles, you had to be circumcised in order to be approved by God, in order to be saved. So Paul writes the book of Galatians in his outrage. He's saying, you're betraying the gospel. Anything added to salvation, any work, is an absolute affront on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the conversation that's happening here. They're not saying you have to keep yourself from strangled blood animals in order to be saved. He's saying, please do this for the unity of our body. So what happens in verse 26? So the next day, Paul took the men, the men who had made the vows, having purified himself along with them. So not only did the four people go with it, Paul went through it as well, and entered the temple, the religious gathering place, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering will be made for each of them. So what did Paul do? He went along with it. Not because he was just trying to appease them or make people happy or win their approval. Uh, it wasn't because he thought that that would make him more spiritual or more religious or more right with God. He did it because he was in Jerusalem, part of this church, pastored by James and led by the elders, and he wanted to preserve the unity and not allow other things to distract what God had called them to do as a church family and a mission. So Paul, who was very much Jewish, went along with it and observed what they requested because the opportunity to have unity among the believers in Jerusalem, where Jew and Gentile couldn't just coexist, but actually in harmony exist together and flourish for the good news of disciple-making in their city and beyond. They were part of the same church now, an actual local church. Not at all compromising the gospel. Paul would have told them to go jump if they told him that they had to do these things to be right with God. But making steps to, make sh- to keep the church together on mission. This had always been a concern. In Acts 15, we see this. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks, these are the new Gentiles believers, that neither our ancestors nor we are able to bear, telling them they have to keep the law in order to be true Christians. Because on the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. That we're all saved the exact same way. That's why we say here the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We believe the gospel is always good news, but for the person that needs to hear it, it has to get to them if they're going to be saved. Because all of us, all around the world, have rebelled against God. 
But God, rather than punishing us as our sins deserve, our loving God has punished Jesus in our place instead. And that message must go out from our church for our city, for Tallahassee, our primary mission field, and to the ends of the earth. Then he adds this, after saying, don't put unnecessary restrictions on them, he writes, therefore, in my judgment, as in here's my suggestion for the sake of unity, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. We shouldn't put barriers in their way that aren't necessary for salvation or following Christ faithfully. But instead, he gives a solution. We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. This was nothing new. They were fighting for the unity committed together of the church. Richard Lentz wrote this, the unity of the church refers to the union of the people of God and all their various distinctives and expressions bound to God and to one another by the gospel. Notice he doesn't say the unity of the church is that every single person agrees on every single matter that exists in all of civilization. He doesn't say the unity of the church depends on all the Christians always getting along in the same church at all times. He doesn't say the unity of the church is contingent upon you never ever rolling your eyes at each other. He says it's the union of the people of God in their various distinctives, their various expressions, were bound to God and to one another. There's a commitment, why? Because of the gospel, as in our unity has an object. Today in our culture, people love to talk about being unified, let's all work together, unified, but they just kind of generically throw that word out there and we don't really know what it means. So what happens is you kind of have unity around unity. It's like, okay, I'm kind of confused. So what happens is everybody rallies together. There's a social media campaign. There's all these things that happen. And everyone's unified in hashtags and standing together. And then what happens like a month later? It all kind of goes away. You don't even hear about it anymore. It was the most important thing in the history of the world for like 10 minutes on social media. We're all unified together, united. And then it disappears. Why? because there was never an actual, real, tangible object of the unity. Yet the Church of Jesus Christ continues to meet for 2,000 years all around the world, unified together through local expressions of the body, because we're not unified around some word called unity, we're united around Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings us together. We're told that Christ's love compels us because we've reached this conclusion, that he has died for all. So now we die to ourselves and come together as a church and say we're committed not to some random thing called church, we're committed to the church that Jesus is building that he has purchased with his own blood to be his missionary force to the ends of the earth. Unity of the church means I'm committed to this. I'm part of this. I think unity today shows us three things that go back to the scriptures. Number one, unity shows what really matters to us. Not the only thing that matters, but what is of most importance to us. It's not politics, you know, that matters a lot. It's not our most passionate issue, and those things matter a lot. Unity shows what really matters to us is Jesus. What really matters to us ultimately is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing, is that Jesus himself cares about church unity because it's a testimony to the world. 
He said this, he prayed this. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Jesus, fully God, fully man. We see the unity of the Trinity there. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe you sent me. That unified Christians committed to one central cause, that being the work of Christ to the ends of the earth, it's going to be a testimony to the world. And how is that true? Well, in Jerusalem, there's chaos everywhere. The church, Jew and Gentile, are uniting? Like, really? That's unheard of at that time. How in the world can those two people come together? Well, because their common faith that Jesus rose from the grave. Today, how divided are we always as a society and a culture? The world's used to division. They expect division. Some live and thrive and make money off of division. And they see a unified church. Something's happening there. Something's different there. The third thing is that unity is the means, I really believe this, by which we withstand the pressures of the world that come against God's word and come against his church. In Jerusalem at that time, there were very hostile moments and environments and realities for Christians. While we might not be physically persecuted right now in America, there still is a constant onslaught against the church. One of the ways we can stand against that, we can't avoid it, but stand, by stand against it, I don't even mean combatively. I mean that we can stay faithful and committed to Christ during it is to be united. Because when we come together as a church family regularly, it's a reminder that you're not crazy. There are other people who actually believe that Jesus rose from the grave. There actually are people who believe the local church is worth my time and my effort and my resources. There's actually other people who believe that Jesus is the way to salvation, that the world's not centered around me. Other people actually believe that. It allows you to know that you're not crazy, you're not insane. Unity is not a feeling, it's active. It has an object, and his name is Jesus. So purifying himself, as in the religious Jewish practice Paul went through, he actually was doing the opposite of what they were accusing him of doing to the elders. What does that tell us? That even when Paul was doing the right and loving and kind and compassionate things, the world still was against him, which is why they needed to have a united church among Jews and Gentiles. Verse 27, the seven days were nearly over. Listen to what happened. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him. After he did what they asked him to do. And they were shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is a man who teaches everyone, everywhere, against our people, our law, and this place. Paul's like, I'm one of you. What are you talking about? I just went through the whole deal. I paid for these dudes' heads to get shaved. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple. He brought outsiders and has defiled this holy place. You see, God has given us two institutions, the family and the church. The family in the Western world has gotten clobbered, just clobbered. And the church is declining everywhere in America and in Europe. So these two institutions the Lord has given us, and both are going like this. 
Now, ultimately, those things will withstand because God's the author and designer of those things, but they're definitely under attack. I don't think anything shows a unified commitment to being a part of God's great institution than going in with our resources. That that's what unity looks like. I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this. That I am passionate about preserving what God has entrusted us with for generations to come. Jerusalem was really tense, really tense. So the unity and commitment of the church members was going to be critical. And unity is, isn't more about being united, it's, it's more than being simply getting along again, it's about being united in mission, being together for a greater cause and a greater purpose. I mean, notice how things work today. Good things over our history. Tragic things that turned into responses. For example, my grandpa told stories of friends of his that as soon as Pearl Harbor happened, ran down to register for military service to go to World War II. My grandpa was one of those who fought in World War II. Pearl Harbor, they saw what happened they believed what needed to be done, and as a result, they committed to serve their country. A lot of them would not probably have gone into the military if it wasn't for that. That led them, that drew them to go do that. After 9-11, I have high school classmates who, as soon as they were able to, ran down, had no intention of going to the military, but saw those World Trade Centers come down, saw what happened at the Pentagon, and they registered for the military and they committed to their country in response to the evil that had been done on our land. Those are commitments that are a response to something. There's so many things we commit to in our culture that are normal and that we go, but when it comes to church, we get antsy for some reason. I wanna to respond to the fact that Jesus is alive and that he's given us a mission and that to cause us just to follow through the book of Acts and say, let's go. Like, I'm in. I'm a part of this. You ever notice you can't be too busy for Florida State football? I'm not talking, I'm not just a bitter Miami fan from the game last night where we didn't take a knee. Uh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Pray for me. I'm going to start praying on my knees just to cover the bases after, after that. But you're willing to sit through the rain, skip weddings, First of all, shame on you if you get married during football season. Let's just be real, okay? <laughs> thank you, okay, thank you. We might not clap for Jesus, we'll clap for that. <laughs> so, I'm clapping too, okay? And we take pride in how committed we are. We're like, how many folks are at the game is like a matter of bragging on social media. Like how committed you are, it's like a huge deal. How early you get there how awesome your tailgate is. And we all sing songs in unison together at games. It's normal. It's celebrated. And again, they're all good, fun things that God has given us to enjoy. I don't want to think being committed to fun things, yet more trivial things, is normal. But being committed to things that are eternal is strange. Here's what Paul said. Give his rationale why he did operate the way he operated. First Corinthians said, I become all things 
to all people. If I need to be Jewish and shave my head, I'll, I'll do that. Why? So that I may, by every possible means, whatever it takes this side of compromising the Bible or sinning, possible to save some. To see folks come to faith. To not put any obstacle in their way that's unnecessary. He goes, now I do all this, why? The motive matters. Remember, it's a response to something. Because of the gospel. So I may share in the blessings of God's grace and God's love and God's church. Think about our kind of era, our cultural moment we're in. Politics so divisive right now. See people leave, leave churches over political differences with friends who go to the same church. How many people who haven't spoken to a relative because of the 2016 election and now we're in 2023 and they still don't speak? I mean, it's divided and it's only going to get worse. Got another cycle coming back again. Tallahassee is going to be really tense because of that. We see all the divisions that have happened over the last, it's gone on forever, but more prominent in terms of exposure to it through race, through things such as masks and vaccines and things like the sexual revolution. We are more divided as a people than ever before. And it has crept into churches. Unity shows us not that other things don't matter, but what matters most. It's been quite a time. It really has. It's been quite a time. Let's go is more about, it's more than building buildings for the next generation and sending missionaries around the world and being for Tallahassee, even though those things really are a huge part of it. It's also a call to recenter, to recenter our lives together corporately as a local body as God designed his people to flourish around what really matters, around what really is the main thing. Because mission drift can happen so easily in a church where good things distract, things that are important things even, but they can divide. And Paul's saying here right now, this is not a compromise of the gospel or of anything in the scriptures. For me to say, you know what, I'm not going to eat food that was sacrificed to idols, and I'm not going to you know, eat food that was strangled in, with blood, and I'll, and, and I'll even do the whole vows. I'm, I'm going to go through all that because I really want this people in this city to come to Christ. And if it's going to take that happening to unify the church, again, it's not any compromise on my life. I'm not jeopardizing my convictions or anything along those lines. Again, if that would have happened, he had drawn a line and said, no way. And written an angry letter like Galatians. But he said, this is so worth it. This is so worth it. How do we show that we are unified? That we commit to it. It's an action, more than a feeling. And he's willing to do it, to see the church go forward. And we're recipients today of the gospel going forward because one of God's sovereignty in his plan, but also because the early church decided they were gonna come together and be unified, even though they had monumental differences on certain things. And I think we're called through the scriptures to be the same. United in Christ for his glory and for his church. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your grace, grateful for your love for us. And we're thankful that you are building your church. It's your grand idea, not ours. The church belongs to you. And I'm thankful that the church is a big welcome mat for all those who you are calling to yourself that no one in this room is too far from your love 
Lord, let people know how loved they are by you. Open their eyes to see and their minds to understand how you have pursued us and called us your own and welcomed us into your family. Lord, because of that, let us be a welcoming culture. As Romans says, that we will welcome others because you're the one who's welcomed us. So I just ask for a spirit of grace in this room, a spirit of just deep breaths, knowing that you're the one who's done all the work to reconcile us to yourself, so we don't have to strive to earn your approval, but we already have it. We also know we have to work for unity because it's so easy to let the world distract us and lead us down paths that pull us away from your truth and away from your word or even good things that just keep us preoccupied with things that aren't ultimate. Let us be faithful in the little things, but let us be committed to you, into your church, into your mission. So we're thankful for what you're doing here, Lord, we ask for more of it. We're thankful for the multiple generations that are represented in our church every week. Lord, we ask that we will go forward with the spirit of let's go from the book of Acts wanting to take your gospel from our church for the city and to the world. Thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.